The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Melissa Lee, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim Cramer, David Faber have the day off. Final day of September and Q3 as we get set for a busy week full of PMI data, a jobs number Friday, more than a dozen Fed speakers, including Powell, and the first official Q3 earnings number in Pepsi. That's later in the week. Europe is green, 10-year steady. Oil is back to 55. Our roadmap begins with futures pointing to some small gains at the open as markets close out what has been a tumultuous quarter. Plus, it's been a rough quarter for IPO shares of AB InBev's Asia business popping in their Hong Kong debut, marking the second biggest public offering this year. And Bernie Sanders' corporate tax, the 2020 presidential hopeful, out with a new plan calling for a tax on companies that pay their CEOs way more than their workers. It has been a roller coaster ride for stocks in the third quarter as we enter the final trading session of Q3. The Dow and the Nasdaq aiming for a third straight quarterly gain. Nasdaq needs a big rally today to achieve that same feat. Uh, Mike, as we know, we went into the month thinking, oh, it's big, bad, and scary. Came out exactly. relatively unscathed. We really have snuck through September just about. And I think that's actually the story for the quarter, too, is that the market has held itself together uh, and kind of preserved these levels it was at just about at the old highs uh, without really a ton turning for the better. I think the way you could look at it is the cost of two and maybe a third Fed rate cut was not that steep in the way of suffering through really bad growth uh, or any real stress in the financial system just yet. So, But it does feel tenuous, right? I mean, it does feel as if uh, the market has sort of maximized what it had to work with to get to this point. I think it's because old leadership has shown signs of fatigue at this point. What we've really seen in the past month is this notable rotation as we've seen yields come up uh, in, in the past one month. We've seen the performance of the banks really improve. So we have the financials, for instance, the best performing sector of the month. Regional banks doing even better because of that steeper yield curve. But we have technology really showing some signs of just fading at this point. Uh, Netflix is basically almost out of fang, if you ask anybody who follows that generally, right? And we'll see if that follows more. Big story about Google in the journal uh, this morning, looking at internet protocols. We'll talk about that later on today. And all of them are at least 5, 6 to 15% below their highs. Yes. Uh, The the big fang names. And so it shows you that, I mean, I think there's two ways to spin that. One is that the market has essentially been able to uh, preserve its levels without necessarily what used to be the best players. Exactly. Um, and so that's a, probably a net positive. But really, the, the yield story is going to dictate that rotation and whether, in fact, the overall market can make some headway. Because really, we've been tracking you know, rising 
government bond yields means stocks have headway to move and value can perform and banks can do okay. And that's been the pattern. I think there's a little bit of a show me attitude towards the bank breakout that we've seen recently. Um, but it is notable in terms of some of the performance of the FANG stocks. Facebook, for instance, just last week down 7%. And so you got to wonder if finally these FANG stocks are, are discounting or more of a valuation discount because of the regulatory headwinds such as the ones that you've talked regulatory about. Regulatory headwinds and I think you're starting to hear a little bit more about ripple effects from mm-hmm. the kind of reckoning that startup world has yep. has come about. I mean arguably Amazon has been a little bit weak because people are a little scrutinizing AWS. Mm-hmm. Uh, their customer base is very leveraged to startup activity and all that. Whether it's true or not it feels like the sentiment is turning in that direction. All right. Uh, Let's bring in uh, Samantha Azzarello joining us this morning here at Post 9, talk about uh, the markets, of course, global, uh, J.P. Morgan ETF's global market strategist. Uh, happy Monday. Good to see you. In addition to all that we just discussed, we had IPOs, a new wrinkle, uh, financial plumbing got interesting late in the quarter. What's, what do you think was the defining dynamic of the quarter, and what do you think it'll be for Q4? I actually think it was the issues that popped up with repo, right? We didn't think the financial plumbing issues are really um, indicative of anything systemic, right? It's just liquidity problems. We don't think it's solvency issues, but it scared people. And I think it also points to the fact that in the broader bond market, we're going to see liquidity issues going forward. And we're only starting to talk about that now. Really? So um, what does the Fed need to do? What does New York Fed need to do? So, I mean, the New York Fed's going to get back into their open market operations. They're going to look at the asset and liability pieces of their balance sheet, but really it comes down to the fact that more collateral in the market is probably necessary, especially as funding needs come come to call. And I think you put that along with the idea of slowing economic growth and, and startup issues and all these different things, and this all feels kind of fragile. So is it a risk-off environment? I would argue it is a risk-off environment. I know we're slightly underweight equities for the first time in a long time, and we're saying skim off of growth and reallocate to value, right? And that in itself feels risk-off. Um, what about the idea, though, as we were saying, you know, we've, we've at least so far made it to the end of September. Um, it seems as if sentiment is kind of subdued, maybe positioning is not really very aggressive, at least going into the fourth quarter. Um, and maybe earnings on a year-over-year basis are, are, are kind of bottoming. So that's the bull spin. What do you I say like to that? that? Bull spin. <laughs> I'm just curious how you would answer that. No, yeah. I mean... I think longer run, we always have to make the case for equities. I think if you look at flows year to date, all the money's been going into bonds or cash equivalents, right? We're all aware of that. And there's been massive net outflows out of stocks, speaking to the fact that maybe, you know, given flows alone, you have more upside potential for equities. In terms of setting up into the the last quarter of the year, Samantha, did you feel... Uh, it reminiscent of one year ago when we had a rough earnings season, we had China trade tensions, and we saw a precipitous decline in the markets. Is it possible that we get a 15% decline in the markets this quarter? Absolutely. I really do think so, especially if the trade tensions deteriorate. We had that news over the weekend, which was alarming, you know, at best about stopping capital flows. So if anything, I think there's more downside risk. But I would say it feels very episodic in nature, right? It feels like these volatility swings are very temporary and then everything just subdues. So I think staying the course is probably key. Uh, John Stolfus joins us this morning here on set as well. John, good morning. Good, good morning. Snuck good to see in. you. Uh, we've been sort of putting Q3 into context and talking about whether or not there's reason to be cautious in the coming quarter because of some of these new dynamics that have Certainly. revealed themselves in the past few weeks. Fair or not? Absolutely fair. It, 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 the question, anything that would impede the ability of the markets to function on a globalized basis would be a very serious thing. Uh, related to the trade war itself, 
uh, as it exists toward, with tariffs. That negotiation continues, but especially the news on Friday, the possibility that the administration would limit capital flows. That was very worrisome. Uh, which, now, which I'm Navarro, out of breath. I just want you to know because I was racing to get yeah, here. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> We're going to give you a chance because I'm nervous about but the market. Navarro, uh, <laughs> on our air this morning, obviously pushed back. Uh, yeah. Treasury spokesperson over the weekend said no current yeah. plans. Thank He's, goodness. Yes. That was very helpful. But, but do we believe the president has authorized a review? I, I think that, I, let me put it this way, I think it's very possible given what we, what, what we have seen thus far since 2016. Anything is possible. But would say this. I do think there is an election next year, and I do think the American people are very concerned that there would be any shakeup of economic activity in the, in, for the consumer. Doesn't, there, doesn't that backdrop, though, not matter until the markets are way off the record highs? I mean, being so yeah. close to record highs, doesn't that give the president some, some leeway to do what he wants at this point? You know, I, I, I tell you, I, I've got to say, Melissa, I think that it's... That, that's a question we'd really have to see. I think the president, is, with all the impeachment potential that's out there, I think there's, there's so many things that have, so many chickens that have come home to roost at this time. Efficacy calls for a trade deal, okay? Both China and the U.S. need a trade deal right now. Uh, every day that China does not do a trade deal, more companies diversify their supply chain away from China. That's not a good story for long planning. When China wants to see 2025 be made in China as a goal. And for the U.S., I think, you know, for the administration, I think the administration really plans to make a, every effort it can to get it reelected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think we come out of this, and the markets have been so resilient. The third quarter may have been just edging slightly higher, basically uh, uh, flat with a positive bias in return for the S&P before dividends. Uh, in, 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 the, in the most recent quarter. But generally speaking, if you look at a screen that shows you all your returns globally, most markets are green and some substantially so, which would indicate to us that the markets are expecting some kind of a trade deal, sometimes a, some move that is significant towards normalcy. Samantha, I guess the big question is uh, related to that is what specifically seems right now to be priced in and captured by the market in terms of trade expectations? Because you've seen some day-to-day sensitivity to the stray headline, but it's hard to think that if you got a deal next week, the market would shrug. I think you'd get a relief rally if we yeah. got a deal. I will say to Melissa's point, I don't think the average American consumer cares about the trade war. And right. I think that's being shown up in the retail sales data and just in the consumption data. We know CEOs and business planners and leaders care, but I'm not convinced this has trickled down to the consumer yet. And, and the other question, I guess, is do you get another rate cut from the Fed without trade stress? Right? Can you, in other words, can you have both uh, either good or neutral news on on trade and still get the Fed to be more helpful? I think it's possible. I do think the Fed is trying to show us that they're live, so I really don't think they know what they're going to do, so there's no way that we can know what they're going to do. They're really just waiting and seeing how the data unfolds. John, last word. I I think the consumer does care. It's just the consumer hasn't been hit yet. A lot of deals were done in the first 18 months of the trade deal. Chinese suppliers did everything they could to reduce their prices, reduce the cost of the companies they were supplying things with. Now this is chapter two. The next round might be, might be critical. The breadth and depth of the tariff war has, has extended and expanded substantially. So it's time for action and positive action from both countries. John, Sam, thanks, guys. Thanks for starting thanks, us off John. on a Monday. 
Coming up, AB InBev's Asia unit going public in Hong Kong with the second largest IPO of the year. We've got the details straight ahead. And later, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on the trade picture and the push to pass the USMCA. Uh, he will be up uh, shortly on Squawk on the Street. Take another look at futures. We are looking at a higher open with the S&P looking at about three, Dow looking at about 25. Much more Squawk on the Street live from Post 9 at the NYSE when we come right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hong Kong bracing for more protests with China's National Day just hours away. Sherry Kang is on the ground in Hong Kong with the very latest. Sherry. Good morning, Melissa. So, yes, as China is gearing up for its National Day holiday, certainly a special occasion for Beijing authorities that you celebrate. But here in Hong Kong, at least for pro-democracy protesters, it's an occasion that they're going to, quote, mourn, uh, calling all the other protesters to wear black and participate in the march. And we saw a little bit of a preview this weekend, uh, certainly escalation uh, yet again in this past weekend with protesters, uh, you know, basically confronting with the Hong Kong police, with some of them actually setting the entrance of some MTR stations on fire, hurling patrol bombs, and police officers responding with uh, tear gas as well as pepper sprays as well. So that with that usual scene, will this further escalation in their action that is highly anticipated tomorrow to mark that occasion, is that going to sit well with Beijing authorities as well as those here in Hong Kong is really the main question. In the meantime, Hong Kong police basically is sending a text message to Hong Kong public a warning against uh, such uh, disruptions and also coming out with their statement uh, condemning all protest activities activities and saying all acts are one step closer to quote terrorism and calling on the public not to participate in tomorrow's event and of course tomorrow we're going to see some scaled down a ceremony here in Hong Kong at Bauhinia Square but a lot of elements have been scaled down as I said fireworks for example have been canceled guys back to you all right, Cherry, thank you for that. Speaking of Hong Kong, AB InBev's Asia unit going public there. Frank Holland is back at our HQ with details on that. Morning, Frank. Hey, good morning, Carl. Well, shares of Bud Asia rising 4% after opening very slightly above the listing price of 27 Hong Kong dollars per share. This IPO raising more than $5 billion. This gives Bud Asia an enterprise value of $45 billion. And based on 2020 estimates, the price to earnings is 33 times. A lot higher than parent company AB InBev, but compared to other leading Chinese brewers, CR, CR Snow and Tsingtao, you see more comparable numbers there. Also comparable numbers when it comes to revenue growth. But Asia third in that market by a very thin margin. People with knowledge of this IPO says it was motivated by a desire to reduce debt as well as grow through mergers and acquisitions in Asia. That's something that CEO Jan Kraps touched on. Many other markets in Southeast Asia, we are not number one or two. Uh, so if you, if you look at Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, uh, Cambodia, there is many, many markets that we could imagine that we can create a lot of value together with regional players in the future.
And people close to this IPO say M&A is a longer-term goal. The focus now is on China, the biggest beer market in the world, which consumes twice as much beer as the U.S., about 13 billion gallons a year, compared to 6.2 billion gallons a year here in the U.S. Also, debt reduction. The company has about $102 billion in debt, much of it from acquiring SAB Miller in 2016. And the company has said its goal is to reduce that net debt as quickly as it can, especially next year. Today's IPO is Hong Kong's largest IPO of the year and the second largest after U.S. ride-hailing company Uber. Back over to you. Wow. Uh, Frank, uh, everyone's paying attention to where companies decide to list these days. Thank you, our Frank Holland. Uh, Speaking of IPOs, we were talking about what an interesting quarter it's been. Goldman has a nice chart out today looking at the percentage of new issues that have uneven voting rights at 17, pretty much the highest of the last decade. Yeah, and that's actually uh, kind of a point against those companies. You can look at the performance split uh, from those. They won't get uh, likely indu- uh, put into any indexes. That's one of the big overhangs on some of these. Uh, and obviously, I mean, you've had this complete clash between, you know, private market valuation math and priorities and what the public market wants to swallow, and that's just one piece of it. It's funny that that also coincides with the, the record number of dollars raised by unprofitable IPOs in a single year. I don't know if that's cause and effect or related in some way, but it's definitely worth noting because that is the trend that we've seen this year, that we have these founder-led companies that retain control. They're largely unprofitable companies, and they've managed to stay in the private market for so long because of so much VC money slashing around, which is a product, of course, of 0% interest rates basically around the world. And lower uh, compound annual growth rates in public markets over the past decade. All the money flowed into private. That's where the action was. Fred Wilson with an op-ed today about Basically, it's it's a no-brainer now. I mean, yeah. That chart we just showed of the big three, uh, there, there it is. They can buy and sell stocks every day. If they feel like they missed out on something, they can get into it immediately. I mean, the lesson's been learned. If you are not making money, prepare for scrutiny. Without right. a doubt. And, and he also goes on to say, and I've been talking about this, if it looks and acts like software, the market likes it. If you're pretending to be a software-based business and you really don't have the margins, you don't have the network economics of a software business, the market sees through it. And I think that's been the split between Uber has an app, but it does not have software economics. Or Peloton. Good example. Which is also, which is indicated to open lower again today. Um, Here's the thing about Peloton, though, and, and Smile Direct. And uh-huh. It's not just, oh, the public market doesn't like the valuation. It's in the moment, the bankers thought they had demand behind them at the IPO price, and they didn't. So there's something in that transaction, that reading of the market that has been off lately. Right. <laughs> Named it uh, priced at the high end, right, at the very exactly. last minute. And then exactly. uh, we saw what happened. Still to come this morning, uh, an important interview. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is going to be with us. We'll get his take on trade and the chances of Congress passing the USMCA, obviously. We'll talk about uh, the House inquiry. Take another look here at the pre-market as we kick off, as we said, a busy week full of central bank speak, data, jobs number, and the start of earnings. We're back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Just about seven minutes before the opening bell rings, let's bring in Art Cash and Director of Floor Operations with UBS. Art, welcome. Good to see you. Um, what do you make of this week and how we're setting up given earnings, economic data at the end of the week? We've got lots ahead of us. Yeah, earnings are going to be important. Uh, and but what's interesting is we, we've, uh, the weekend talk shows were consumed with the impeachment deal, and it doesn't really seem to have a major market uh, impact, uh, I think. The only way we've seen it as an impact is when these hearings uh, get partisan and acrimonious. It makes the traders feel the chances of getting infrastructure, the chances of getting anything else done are almost nil. But the key that is all-encompassing remains the China trade. I mean, overnight, for example, uh, they put out a statement that they will have a Chinese delegate here in a couple of weeks. and. Uh, the future's turned around. So it, the obsession remains with the China trade rather than with impeachment and politics. And you feel like that's running through uh, the bonds? I mean, it seems like, you know, we also got decent economic data out of China. I mean, one one number firmer than expected. Um, and then, you know, bond yields able to lift, and that seems to set the tone. Yeah, no, I, I think we're going to see movement in bonds again. I don't think we've seen the low yields yet. No. Uh, I think you may see them at year end. And uh, we'll see. And I think this uh, little quote-unquote problem with the plumbing may begin to influence the Fed to a degree. Because if they have to keep loosening up in in the short-term money, that may or may not take away uh, a rate cut. You know, they can say, hey, look, we fattened up the balance sheet here. I guess we don't need the rate cut. So I don't think the markets are focused on that yet. Uh, but I would be keeping an eye You're on You're still looking for one more cut, or you think even that's a risk? Uh, I think that is a mild risk. I, I think they should, but I think uh, the markets may be seeing as a mild risk in about a couple of weeks. I don't think anybody's focused on the repo thing as much as they should, and uh, we'll see if that picks up. All right. Art, great to see you. Thank you. Art nice Cashin. Opening bell is just uh, five minutes away. Stay tuned. You're watching Squawk on the Street, live at Post 9. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street, live from the financial capital of the world. The opening bell in just over two minutes. Uh, busy Monday, obviously. Been a busy weekend. There's so much going on in politics as Congress begins this uh, two-week recess. We're going to talk to Mitch McConnell in the 11 a.m. hour. We're going to try to stay focused, though, this morning on some individual stock movers. And for that, you got to watch Apple. Uh, JPM does up their iPhone volume forecast. Says that's going to be offset, though, with some more adverse uh, effects, uh, lower margin and... Uh, Profit pricing expectations, though they're 20, they're December 2020 target now is 265, and that's versus a prior December this year, 243. So looking for some appreciation in the next year. And what's interesting about it is it was really modest tweaks to the iPhone outlook, and it was it's kind of a call on expectations being low enough and sentiment toward the stock being you know relatively moderate, and therefore it can rally from here. So interestingly, if the stock responds to something like that, where there's not like an edgy call, if we think it's going to be a blowout quarter, then I think it tells you that that it, there is a little bit of an upward drift bias to, to this stock, and it looks like it might be up you know almost one percent here in the pre-market. 
Um, we should also watch some of the exchange stocks as well as the Chinese Internet stocks. We saw all those stocks uh, be under pressure on Friday on that on that report that perhaps the White House is looking into forcing the delisting of Chinese companies. We did see Nasdaq trade lower. We saw ICE trade lower. Um, the Asher ETF, Alibaba was down. Here we have Alibaba indicated to open higher at the open. So how much will these recoup uh, the losses after Treasury came out and said there are no current plans? And Navarro said that the reports were at least half fake news. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a, a table pounding denial of anything. So. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is there. Sure was spicy, though. It between Navarro, <laughs> Kayla, Absolutely. who reports on this day in and day out, Wilfred and Joe. Uh, quite an interview with uh, Navarro this morning. If you get a chance to go back and look at it. Let's get the opening bell on the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, celebrating its 13th anniversary, it's ResMed, maker of medical devices to treat sleep apnea and COPD. At the NASDAQ, Envision Solar International, maker of electric vehicle chargers. And it is going to be a busy week for autos at large. We've got day 15 of the GM strike. We've got uh, Tesla deliveries will come our way. We're looking for somewhere in the, I think, neighborhood of 90 to 100. 95 to 100 yeah. or so, roughly, consensus. As Musk has already made some comments about his aerospace uh, launch over the weekend. Starship. And about the delivery numbers yeah, itself. About, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll hear from uh, what Musk said. And then, of course, uh, who knows? Now that the WTO has given us the green light on uh, EU tariffs on all kinds of goods, uh, $7.5 billion worth. Uh, we'll see if that includes autos, if the U.S. is willing to start a second front war when it comes to trade. Right. Um, obviously, a huge overhang. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, GM stock is kind of very, very modestly been, been hit on this, and it kind of shows you the state of the industry right there, where there really weren't many expectations of, uh, of a real acceleration of volumes, you know, at this point in the cycle. Uh, so it doesn't seem as if there's much at stake in the near term, but the longer term, it really does seem as if this industry is figuring out if it's prepared for the next act. And tariffs would just, you know, really undercut the whole story for a while. Yeah. I'll watch some shares of UNH as well. Uh, BMO Capital coming out, downgrading the stock. This has been a stock that's been under pressure. There's a real push-pull because impeachment hearings are thought to put off a lot of the, um, the sort of negative proposals that are trying to get, make their way through Congress when it comes to drug prices etc. But at the same time, as the impeachment hearings go on, um, it looks like the spread between Biden and Warren gets wider and wider, with Warren taking the lead. Jeffries had this great chart out a couple weeks ago um, showing that when the spread goes high, goes wider, with Warren taking the lead, the XLV, the ETF that tracks health care, goes down. So, <laughs> so health care loses when it looks like Warren is winning, and that's sort of the trade that we're seeing play out here. Uh, but again, BMO going to market perform from outperform on UNH, which has been a stellar performer um, over the yeah. whole year, yeah. but down 12% in the third quarter. I think quarter. it was Miller Tabak last week called UNH the classic Warren yes. indicator. If yes. you look at her poll numbers versus a uh, chart. I mean, it stock. really brings you back, though, to the Obamacare repeal trades, where it seemed like it was the only thing that mattered, and every tick was based on whether, yes. in fact, it was going to happen or not happen. And then in the end, the market sort of settled out uh, beyond that. But I do think it's, it's worth keeping in mind that the whole impeachment stuff, to me, it filters into the markets in electoral probabilities, right? It's not so much what's going to happen in the next couple of months. If it really just creates a, a trend in the polls that says this is how 2020 is going to turn out, that's how the market, I think, would reprice and healthcare would be the thing to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oil, interesting action. As we said earlier, back to 55, you had uh, the crown prince 
on uh, 60 Minutes over the weekend talking about, uh, quote, unimaginably high levels on crude without action on Iran. At the same time, Journal does this fascinating piece on U.S. production, down 7% year on year, not because of pricing, but because technology seems to have been flattening out on some of these wells. And you're just not getting the yield. You got the did. best of it, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at least you know I mean, we kind of we've been wrong a few times on the whole, you know, peak oil in various iterations. But yeah, that was very fascinating. This idea that it's just um, truly the path to energy independence is being questioned. Right. But this whole sector—it's a really underloved sector. It's the smallest About sector now. in the market. It's the most inconsequential by sector in terms of weighting. Um, and a lot of portfolio managers—they are not allocating the time or the resources to covering oil and taking active positions in oil. Um, in we're seeing that play out in terms of the performance of these stocks. What's interesting is it has bearing on this whole value trade as well. So right. if you if you love value in concept, you should love energy. You're going to love energy. You you're going to love completely disrupted cheap retail. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. All the stuff that seems like, well, yeah, I like cheap stocks, but not ones that are going to zero. I mean, that's right. kind of the, the, the deal you're faced with. XOM right now, the worst uh, performing uh, Dow component, along with uh, Pfizer and UNH. Um, We'll keep our eye on Boeing. Uh, Again, a journal piece out today arguing that uh, the company omitted safeguards in the MAX that it had earlier used in a military jet. We know that Muhlenberg is going to testify in front of Congress uh, sometime in October. Uh, We've been talking for weeks about the resilience of BA in the face of just withering headlines all year long. To me, that's the, I mean, that's the takeaway is, is you know, what, either, what does the market kind of know in terms of cutting to the chase and where this is going to settle out? Or, you know, is it just one of these things? So many people believe in the long term story and the pipeline that, and the fact nothing that has quite only, disturbed that yet. There's only Airbus exactly. as an alternative. If that is even, even an alternative at the point where you're ordering planes. I mean, if you're ready to replace right. the order for planes, can you really switch it and go to Airbus? And that's I, I think that's why Boeing is being held hostage within this range. It's not really going to go much lower. It's not really not go much higher because of all these headlines. Um, Target shares worth uh, taking note of. They're up by uh, nine-tenths of a percent. It has been a fantastic quarter for Target. What a performance. Up 23 percent in the quarter. This is the best quarter since the second quarter of 2003 and still going strong here. And so this is sort of the, the flip side of those disruptive retailers, Absolutely. right? The ones that can actually compete with the likes of an Amazon that have a strong um, bricks and mortar as well as digital strategy. Uh, they are really taking the lead. So Target, Walmart, all these names. Yeah, there's the anointed today. few that you can you can right. own. They have the wherewithal and, and, and everything else, a massive uh, valuation gulf between those. Uh, Micron, you'd think, might find some legs uh, down a little bit after, obviously, a rough uh, print and outlook. We talked to Sanjay Marotra on uh, Friday. Uh, Again, we've been here before with this company trying to call a bottom of the cycle. Their argument is that demand is uh, slowly meeting or exceeding supply. Uh, But although the Sox is doing a little bit better, MU has been a tough tough week after what's been a great year, right? People have taken a flyer on chips. Yeah. It has been a great year in the context of, you know, a, a stock that got really washed out, I think, from the highs in early 2018. So it's had this not quite completed V move over the course of the past year and a half. But again, it's consumer staples that are going to lead today, at least at the open, along with some uh, information. Technology. I was actually going to look at the mall real, uh, REITs, you know, with Forever 21, we got confirmation, like that uh, file for Chapter 11 and close uh, a lot of stores or put pressure in general on the store closure story. Simon Property is, you know, above the flat line, Mace Rich. So it doesn't seem as if right now this is kind of new news in terms of what impacts 
the, the mall reads at least. Well, the names that are leading right now, Gap, L Brands, yeah. Ulta, TJX, Kohl's, Nordstrom. I mean, Bath up a lot, too. They yep. got a, some positive street comments. Right. As well. So are we counting? We continue to count on the consumer to not be rattled. We'll see what the jobs number looks like on Friday. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Um, more in Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, Wedbush is upgrading that to an outperform. That's an upgrade. Neutral. Okay. Yeah. So for BBBY, um, it's good news for at least today. Um, Altria, it's worth noting, we're seeing a little bit of recovery here in Altria shares, up 1%. Uh, on the back of uh, Jewel CEO stepping down, et cetera, all these headlines, which you know so well, Carl. Uh, we did get those CDC numbers uh, last week. I think uh, Meg Terrell brought us up to speed this morning. 805 illnesses now, uh, 14 deaths, and no clue on the exact reason, but obviously the scrutiny is beginning to zero in on what's essentially off-market, black-market, uh, THC, dank vapes, they call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Jewel, uh, being the, tar- the largest uh, player, obviously has gotten uh, slathered with bad news. Uh, Kevin Burns, as you know, is now out. Somebody like, th- I think it was Axios uh, suggested this investment is one of the worst corporate investments of all time, uh, although it's early it, it, days. It's, it's <laughs> got to be in the running. I mean, even when they, they took that 35% stake, we knew that there was hair on that dog on the regulatory front. There's plenty of people scratching their heads saying, why are you going to pay this much money when there are so many unknowns uh, on the regulatory front when it came to vaping? It was still early days. Which might say a lot, though, about what the company thought of its existing business and just the was it just a, ne- a necessary maneuver to, to try and you know buy a piece right, of the future. existential yeah. question about their core product, right. not just in the States, but around the world, yeah. right? Well, I mean, you take a look at that, you take a look at the investments in pot, and you think... This, this looked like a company that was sort of desperate to offset those, those declines in, in cigarette volumes. Um, we'll see. Pot socks, by the way, have been also under pressure on the back of this vaping uh, controversy. I was going to take a quick look at Alphabet. Uh, you know, we got yet another uh, round of news about scrutiny uh, of some of its practices and such. Uh, down three quarters of a percent. Um, so it's not necessarily a panic move, but there's been this real slow relatively slow compression in the valuation of, a, of an Alphabet and Facebook. I mean, Alphabet was, you know, 28 times earnings not that long ago. It's like below 23. So not cheap, but definitely showing there's an overlay of concern that the business longer term might be impacted by a lot of this. Facebook is about flat today. But again, it went from 28 to 20 times think, forward earnings. Think about Alphabet when they reported earnings last quarter. They really dispelled the notion that perhaps advertisers would walk away, that there would be an impact on the business. The stock re-rated. Everybody thought this is a new chapter for Alphabet. You know, watch out for these earnings again. We'll see if that's, this is going to be a repeat. Well, that's exactly what Mike Wilson argues today uh, over at Morgan Stanley. As you all know, he's been net negative or, or cautious, I should say. They still believe their earnings model shows um, earnings are 10 percent. Uh, consensus is 10 percent ahead of what's actually going to come out. And we're going to know pretty soon whether or not these companies, yeah. uh, get starting with Pepsi this week, first official Q3 print, uh, whether or not the year's intact. I would say, though, one year ago, the forward estimate for the, by the consensus was a good deal higher than we actually are, have gotten in the last year, and the market's up a little bit. So you got the help of much lower yields and the changing uh, orientation of the Fed. So you can't necessarily get that again uh, to support the market in the absence of earnings growth, but uh, it, it's hard to know exactly what's priced in and what the consensus says if that's the same thing. Uh, so thanks to Merck and Apple, uh, Dow's up 81. Let's get to Bob Asani. Bob? And a uh, nice little move up. Uh, again, it's tech that's sort of the mover, and it always is. Uh, semiconductors in that subsector. 
uh, is the marginal mover for the market. So their semis up nicely. Retail having a nice morning, too, industrial. So these are sort of the cyclical sectors doing better. Banks slightly on the upside. Uh, energy uh, is a laggard, has been for uh, a while now, after a very brief move to the upside earlier in the month. Uh, we just want to show you some uh, China stocks that are moving today. Baidu, Alibaba, JDCom, remember all this down big on Friday on some reports uh, that the U.S. might be considering restricting investments in China. Over the weekend, Secretary Mnuchin came out and said they have no current plans to stop companies from listing here in the United States. Uh, so we see a modest bounce, although not the kind of uh, return up that we saw compared to the downward moves uh, on Friday. So uh, today's the last day of the third quarter. It's important to note how we've been looking globally, and it's a little bit of a, a mixed market here. I just want to mention the recent IPOs that we had uh, when some of them had a tough time last week. Peloton fractionally up, Smile Direct Slack all bouncing a little bit. Page of Duty uh, had a rough week. Uh, lift down about 1%. So here, mixed for all those recent IPOs. Like I mentioned, last day of the third quarter. And if you take a look at how we've done on the year for the quarter, this is for the quarter. S&P's done well. Hong Kong's had a rough time for a number of particular factors related to that. Shanghai's down 3%. Modest moves up, outperformance from Japan and Europe. This is the stock 600, roughly the S&P 500 uh, for Europe. Uh, leaders in the in Q3, it's been an odd group, I have to say. Uh, laggards have been, uh, I'll do laggards first. These are all your cyclical groups. We had a, a, a tremendous cyclical sell-off that came back a little bit in the last few weeks. But you see materials weak. Healthcare, biotech had a very tough time, particularly in the last week. Retail down about 1%. In terms of sector leaders, uh, believe it or not, some odd groups up here. Gold's been a big mover up. 20-year uh, Treasury ETFs that has been outperforming everything for a while except for gold. Utilities and consumer staples. So you see how defensive uh, the, the third quarter uh, has been. As for the earnings overall for the years, we go into the fourth quarter. I keep using this word flattish. I've been using it for three quarters. Uh, I think that's the key thing here. Um, what could move the needle for the fourth quarter? Trade talks, we'll see some things there. Of course, the issue here is tariffs or no tariffs, more tariffs or, or less tariffs in the fourth quarter, and on hold or not for the Federal Reserve is the main thing. Earnings 2019, as I mentioned, has been kind of flattish for the whole quarter. So, for, so far for the S&P 500 companies in the fourth quarter, 14 companies are reporting for fourth quarter. The only thing that concerns me as a little is 13 of the 14 have seen analysts lower the numbers right after the company's reports have come out. That's a little more than expected. And I would note some serious downward revisions that we've seen recently in some recent names, Carnival, FedEx, and Micron. Overall on the quarter, though, remember, flattish is the key word for the year, essentially up or down 1% or 2% for the first quarter, the second quarter, and the third quarter. Fourth quarter right now looking 4 or 5% to the upside. We'll see how that uh, ends out for the quarter. Melissa, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Nislahani. Chicago PMI due out in just moments from now. Let's head to the Bond Pits. Rick Santelli is at the CME Group in Chicago. Hey, Rick. Hey, good morning. Uh, three day of two year gives you quite a bit of information. You can see that rates do uh, move up on days like today. We're up a couple basis points across the curve. But as you can see over the three day, we're really not going anywhere, but we are firm. One week of tenure shows you basically the same thing. Lots of sideways activity, much of it hovering between the high 160s and low 170s. Boon deals, well, they have ticked up a bit relative to their history, but truly, uh, minus 56, minus 57 now uh, is a nice cushion from minus 71, their historic low yield close. 
Dollar index, once again, for the last couple of weeks, it's really been on a tear, even though it's been firm all year. Remember, we're up a little over 3% for this quarter, which ends today. You can see the strength on the two-day chart. It really comes home if you look at what's going on from May 1st of 2017, whereby we are getting our fresh uh, 28-month highs. And, of course, as we await the September read to the Chicago PMI, we're always very cognizant of the notion that there's a lot of ways to try to interpret what's going on on the industrial side, the manufacturing side. But maybe the biggest issue, of course, is acknowledging the fact that there could be reversals once we get a trade agreement. That data is out. It is weaker than expected, 47.1%. So uh, much weaker, Mike, on the uh, PMI read. And, of course, we want to pay close attention in front of the big earnings coming up uh, uh, shortly, uh, how this is all going to figure into expectations. Back to you, Mike. Sure do, Rick. Thank you very much. Uh, the tech sector, meanwhile, outperforming the S&P 500 for this quarter. Let's go to Bertha Coombs at the NASDAQ for more. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Mike. You know, Apple, a big reason why, a big bounce back for Apple this month, really recouping all of its losses from last month and then some. Apple up for a third straight quarter and getting back in that $1 trillion market cap neighborhood. Really what we saw in terms of tech strength this month has been Apple and it's brought chips up as well. So if you read that as a barometer on trade, uh, it looks pretty good. Good overall. The FANG names, for the most part, sitting out the month, sitting out the quarter. Alphabet among the few in that foursome that uh, is uh, to the upside this month. But it's really been a stellar month when it comes to small caps. Small caps and mid caps have been the big up. Un- outperformers this month, uh, although the small caps, Russell 2000, is down for the quarter. Nonetheless, what we've seen there has been a rotation into small and mid-cap consumer names, consumer staples, consumer uh, discretionary, and uh, financial names. Some of the big gainers include Office Depot, up nearly 30% for the month, and some of the small banks, like Service First Bank shares, up double digits as well. That is offset by the performance of biotech, which is is down for the month and down 9% for the quarter, guys. That's really where we continue to see that uncertainty in healthcare, whether it's the prospect potentially of Congress moving forward with regulation or the prospect of Elizabeth Warren and the more liberal wing of the Democratic Party coming in with even tighter reforms. Back over to you. Thanks so much. When we come back uh, later this morning, we're going to talk with the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell about everything from trade to the USMCA to the impeachment inquiry. Dow's up 59 here, holding on to gains after that uh, another contraction in Chicago PMI. Back in a minute. All right. So as we put the quarter to bed today, take a look at the biggest blue chip gainers so far for Q3. P&G, not a surprise, Apple, Nike, Depot, and Walmart. Dow for now, up a quick 94. Back in a moment. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders unveiling his income inequality tax plan. Robert Frank is back at headquarters with the details. Robert. Good morning, Melissa. Well, Bernie Sanders announcing this morning that, quote, it is time to send a message to corporate America. If you do not end your greed and corruption, we will end it for you. And he's going to do that with a new inequality tax. 
Now, this would cover companies with revenues of more than $100 million, both private and public. The tax kicks in when a CEO is paid at least 50 times the median salary of their worker. It would be a sliding scale, starting with a tax of half a percent, rising to 5% for companies whose CEOs make more than 500 times their median worker. Now, Sanders said it would raise about $150 billion a year. The companies that would be the hardest hit, mostly in retail, banking, and restaurant chains, since, of course, they have large workforces of lower-paid employees, or those companies with operations in developing countries. McDonald's, for instance, would have had to pay an extra $110 million in taxes last year under the plan. Walmart would have had to pay $800 million more. And J.P. Morgan Chase, about a billion more in taxes. Now, some of the other companies with large pay gaps include Chipotle, Coca-Cola, Dollar, Dollar Tree, and Kohl's. And yes, the gap is one of the highest. Now, this is all made possible by a recent SEC rule that requires companies to disclose that pay gap. But this is the problem. There are no set rules for how companies have to calculate that median pay. So already in the two years that we've had it, we've seen big changes in what companies report the first year versus the second year. But regardless, this is, you know, given that CEO pay from the 1980s to now was used to be 30 to 1. Now it's 300 to 1. This could be popular with voters. Guys, back to you. Robert, would pay include benefits at all? I mean, there's some argument that some companies may not pay a huge salary, but they, all, they, they do offer, for instance, health benefits, which could really add up. Yeah, it does. And it's very complicated. So it excludes contractors, but it does include part-time workers. So you get into a situation there with some of those have benefits, some don't. And then you could get into a situation where companies, we've already seen last year, they would sell off divisions that had a large number of lower paid workers, or they could just make some part-timers contractors and shift it that way. So there's a lot of give and take in how this number is fixed. Of course, not a lot, of course, focused on how to fix those CEO salaries, which, of course, is Bernie Sanders' focus. Robert, if you want to dial back, I mean, one of the reasons that you got so many CEOs getting paid huge incentive compensation packages was the law passed or the rule that said pay over a million dollars is going to be taxed at a higher level, right, way back in the 90s. And so they kind of adjusted how they pay. So I guess there's going to be, uh, I guess you'd have to be on alert for unintended consequences here. Yeah, and look, the backdrop of this, Mike, as you know well, is stock price, right? These companies and the CEOs, it's tied to the stock price. We've had an incredible bull market for over 10 years. That's what's driven up that pay gap a lot. And so, you know, whatever you do in the medium and the bottom, it's not going to change the fact that most executives, as they should, are paid on their stock performance, and stocks have done great, much better than, of course, wage growth. Indeed, Robert. Uh, Market's definitely paying more attention to some of these uh, Democratic proposals early as it is. Thanks, Carl. Uh, Robert Frank back at HQ. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.